Amen. Do you know who wrote that hymn? Who wrote that hymn? Martin Luther, that's right. What a great statement of faith. We confess our faith when we sing, and we pray when we sing. I was also reminded that this is the last Sunday for Kevin Bellamy and Marshawn Stapleton before they go off to college. I see them there way in the back row. So um, God bless you, and we'll miss you, and when you're back uh, on vacation, come visit us. We want you to be with us. If you have your Bible, take and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, and on the back of your sermon outline, you will see passages from the Scriptures printed, and I also include some of the others that I refer to in the sermon. In this Sunday, I've got a lot of Scriptures that are not on the back of your sermon outline, but you can jot them down and look them up later. So have your pen handy. You may want to take some of these down. John 17, 11 and 12, and then verse 15. And I am no longer in the world, Jesus prays, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So far the reading of God's Word. I have been fascinated for the past several years by a television show on CBS entitled Person of Interest. I don't know if you've seen it, but when CBS tested that show, it was the highest tested pilot that they ever had. And the drama revolves around this former CIA operative named Mr. Reese, who they thought was killed in action but is living as a derelict in Manhattan. And he's recruited by this mysterious billionaire named Mr. Finch, who's this reclusive genius. And they work together to prevent violent crimes in New York City. And what they do is they use this computer system that Mr. Finch has developed. And he designed this to glean information from this omnipresent surveillance system that he is able to use somehow to identify persons of interest so that they can go and protect them and prevent the crime from happening. And they intervene. And they show up sometimes just in time, in the nick of time, at the last minute, and the people don't even know very often (laughs) that they were rescued and were protected and they were saved. They guard, they shield the person of interest. It's fascinating. But wouldn't it be wonderful if it was true? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was someone looking out for us, even when we didn't know it? 
Well, what does Jesus say in this passage, in this high priestly prayer that He's praying for His people? If you are listening, if you are identifying that Jesus prays for His disciples, and that means if you are His disciple, He's praying for you, Jesus tells us that you are His person of interest. And He tells you that our Heavenly Father by means of His own omnipresent surveillance system and by means of His perfect wisdom and His infinite love, He is going to guard you even as you remain in this world, even as you go through tribulation. And so you see on your sermon outline uh, three points that I want to press home on you today that I want you to take away. The first is that you are not of the world, but you are still in the world, and the world is a dangerous place. Point number two will be that Jesus has kept you and guards you. And point number three, Jesus does not protect you from tribulation, but you can be sure He is with you through tribulation. So let's pay attention to what He prays here. This first point, we learn that We are not of the world, but we're still in the world. And if we are paying attention to Jesus in the Gospel of John, we know the world is a dangerous place. And and just recall from our study through this prayer, these past number of weeks together, Jesus has for three years been with these disciples who've been His closest companion, and they have labored together and ministered together and worked together But now they've come to the hour. Remember our first study, the hour where the Son of Man is to be glorified, and Jesus is going to depart as He should. But what comes to His mind is that as He departs, He is leaving them behind. The hour has come. Judas has departed and has now gathered wicked men who are going to come and take Jesus and crucify Him. And Jesus knows that His departure is imminent, and so He prays for these that He loves. This world is a difficult place. It's a dangerous place. It's filled with temptation. It's filled with dangers. When the church of Christ through the centuries has taken the New Testament and tried to understand what are the enemies of our soul, we often speak of this trilogy of the world and the flesh and the devil. These are the things that would shipwreck our faith. And Jesus explicitly mentions two of them in these verses. He talks about the world that He's leaving them behind in. He talks about the evil one, the devil. And later on, in two weeks, we will talk about when he says, sanctify them, he's going to talk about our battle against the flesh. And the New Testament, again, speaks of these three things that are enemies of your soul and my soul, and we do well to pay attention, to be alert to these things. Do you know the uh, passage in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You see, there it is. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
Who is that? That is the evil one. That is the devil. In whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There you have it. You see all three of these things, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the world comes against you, and it says, listen, don't believe what the church tells you. What matters is fame and fortune. That's what matters. Or your flesh cries out inside of you, and it says, the only thing that matters is the satisfaction of your appetites. And don't you have appetites? Satisfy them. Don't listen to the Bible. And then there is the evil one himself, who Jesus taught us is the father of lies. And Satan's great uh, ministry is the ministry of deception, where he wants to trick you and wants to fool you and cause you to become an atheist or a practical atheist in your life so that you will turn away from Christ. And these things would shipwreck your faith. So Jesus prays for you. But notice that he says in verse 16 of his disciples that um, while they are in the world, they are not of the world. It's very interesting. What does he mean here? Though they are in the world, they are not of the world. And what Jesus means here is he's praying that we would be different from the world and that we would actually be changed to be more like Him. And the reason we know that He's praying that we would be changed to be more like Him as we are transferred from the world to those who are not of the world is He says, because as I am not of the world. And so the standard of not being of the world is Jesus Himself. He's, he's praying that we would be changed to be more like Him. And uh, this is extraordinary. Apparently, there's a system of the world, a way of living that is worldly, and then there is a way of living that is like Jesus. Are you aware of that? Are you alert to the fact if you are Jesus' disciple, you will be different, markedly different from the world? And um, I think there's often, we just seem to forget that every day I'm supposed to be being conformed to the image of Jesus, made more like Jesus. That's what he's praying for, for us. This is so important that the elders of our church and the staff of our church have set up a conference for the end of September here in this sanctuary. Last weekend in September, get it on your calendar. We're going to have a church conference, and it's going to be all about what it means to have a biblical worldview when you are in the world, but not of it. Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning. We're bringing in a, a very gifted speaker, the president of Westminster Seminary, Peter Lilbach, a marvelous Bible teacher. We hope you'll be here. There'll be activities for children and for teenagers. We hope you'll be here because we must learn what does it mean to be in the world but not of the world. Second thing, just I noticed right here, is that he must leave his disciples behind for some reason. Have you ever asked yourself, why didn't he just take me home to heaven after he saved me? Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, it would be nice, wouldn't it? 
But apparently, He still has something for you to do. And when you wake up every day, you should be alert to the fact that He has something for you to do. You are His ambassador. You are His messenger. You are His manager. You are His minister. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He has something for you to do, so He's leaving you behind. But while you remained behind, He is with you. Listen. We Presbyterians understand this very differently from maybe some other sections of Christendom. You know, the Amish, for example, they think about being uh, not of the world. They think that means you should retreat into a cloister, you know, and, and have some sort of hidden community away from the world. But, but as Pastor Tay said uh, to me this week, he says, we just want to be like Jesus who went into the world and sought out the tax collectors and the sinners and was alongside them and loved them. That's what Presbyterians do, Tay said, and he's right. We want to be alongside. And did you catch the testimony last week when Rebecca Hafey stood up reflecting on the, the Haiti ministry and she said, uh, you know, what I learned is that I should not just be a missionary to Haiti, but God wants me to be a missionary to my neighbors and my classmates and the people around me. Wasn't that beautiful? You see, you are in the world, but not of it. And so we're going to see later on in our study, Jesus will say, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Okay? Stay tuned for that sermon. But as you go, and now we come to point number two, what we find is that Jesus keeps you and He guards you. Look at verse 11 in the middle of that verse. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And then verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And here's the thrust now of his prayer. He's eager to go back to his father. He knows he's leaving his disciples behind, and so he prays that that keeping and guarding ministry that he has had will now be turned back to his heavenly father. Okay? This is the thrust of his prayer right now. Look at this. First of all, I kept them in your name. Now I want you to keep them in your name. What does that mean? Well, surely, surely Jesus has in mind the Psalms and the Proverbs, which tell us that the name of God is God Himself. Psalm 124, verse 8, you know it. It says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, surely, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You see, the name of the Lord is the place of safety because the name of the Lord is the Lord Himself, El Shaddai, the Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Provider. Jehovah, the Lord. And Jesus says, as I did this, as I kept them, I did my assignment. Did you catch that? 
He's not boasting. He's just reporting back to the Father. Let's look at the roster. What did we learn last week? That the love of the Lord is particular. Redemption is particular, particular redemption. He did not just make it possible for you to be saved. He saved you. And he said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. And here he says, he's now reporting. And none of them is lost. 100% success rate. I love this. Except for the one, okay, the betrayer, who is that? The one who fulfills Psalm 41, verse 9, uh, who, who, I guess, lifted up his heel against King David, who shared the bread, and Judas that night shared the bread with Jesus and then went out and did quickly to go betray Jesus. And there was the one doomed to destruction there. But for those, my people, none of them is lost. And this keeping and guarding ministry of Jesus is very beautiful. There's two words, and we're going to dig into verse 12 here, two different words used in verse 12 that essentially describe how he keeps and guards his people. And uh, they are synonyms in the Greek language. I'm not going to bore you with all the syntax and and the definitions, but, but both of them are used to describe careful protection Surveillance, keeping watch, standing guard, preserving, shielding. These are the translations for these exquisite Greek terms. You can picture a military escort that has to get some hated foreign dignitary uh, from uh, JFK over to uh, the United Nations to make a speech, you know, and he's got enemies all over the world. And so the Secret Service assigns a detail to his caravan, and they guard and protect, and they ensure that he gets to his destination, you see. This is the kind of word that is used. They preserve his life, so he gets to his destination. In the book of Jude, there's an interesting little book, the last book of the Bible before the book of Revelation, just one chapter long. In the very first word of the book of Jude, uh, Jude uses this term for keeping, and, and it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept, and there's that word, kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. And the King James Version, I think, translates it even better. It says, preserved by Jesus Christ. So this is this, this word for keeping, and, and in his commentary, Leon Morris points out that it's in this, this active um, uh, uh, tense, it's an imperfect in the Greek language, and that means it's continuous activity. It's not as though Jesus babysat the disciples last Saturday night, one and done. But Jesus says, and the New American Standard translates it better in John 17, it says, while I was keeping them, I have been keeping them. What we learn from this is that Jesus kept you in the past, He's keeping you right now, and He will keep you in the future. Isn't that beautiful? That's how He prays. That's how He reflects on what He has done 
for his disciples. And, the, the, and, 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 and it's like Mr. Finch and Mr. Reese and their person of interest. Their eyes are on them, you see, and they intervene to protect. That other word is translated guarded here. And this, this word means to carefully attend to, and it's actually the word that, it, it, that we read every Christmas in Luke chapter 2 about the shepherds, remember? And lo, there were shepherds in the field abiding, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd guards and attends to his sheep. And sometimes the word is translated shielding. I think of Psalm 3, the opening song. If you come late, you miss some good songs. We sang Psalm 3, verse 3. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Do you believe that? Can you say that? Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I want you to be able to say that with confidence because of the prayer of Jesus for you. I love the hymn that we're going to sing at the end of the service. It's my favorite. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Do you know the refrain of it? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. And I have to tell you, I've, I've sung it a thousand times, and I love the refrain, and I understand His ministry of saving because I need a Savior. And I understand the ministry of helping, because I'm always saying to the Lord, help! And I understand the ministry of loving, because I want to be loved, and I want to know His love. But you know, I've sung it a thousand times, and I've always just kind of passed over the word keeping. Saving, helping, keeping. When you sing it today, don't pass over that word, because that is a ministry of Jesus Christ. And how many times have you walked to the edge of the cliff? Hmm? And he has pulled you back. How many times have you fallen over the edge of the cliff, lying, you know, wrecked at the bottom? And has he come? and picked you up and nursed you back to health. You know the story of the footprints, the wonderful footprints, that great uh, story of the, the guy who sees the two footprints behind in his life, and then he sees sometimes there's only one set of footprints. And what did he say to the Lord? Lord, why did you leave me alone during those times? I only see the one set of footprints when I was in the darkest and deepest valley and in the most pain of my life. Why did you leave me alone? What did the Lord say? Oh, my, my child. That was when I carried you. Okay? Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with you to the end. 
This brings us to our third point. Because if we listen to Jesus carefully, we do discover that He does not necessarily protect us from all tribulation. What does He promise? He does promise that He will be with us through all tribulation. Again, verse 15 is uh, very striking. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Lord, they're still going to be buffeted in the world, Heavenly Father. They're still going to be knocked around in the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil are still going to be nipping at their heels. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You know, we always say that to understand the Bible, you need to understand the text in its context. And so we've been studying chapter 17. But do you know the last verse of chapter 16? Jesus said to his disciples at the close of his intimate discussion with them, the last thing recorded, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And this is why He confidently leaves His disciples behind into the care of the Father because He knows that His victory that is about to be accomplished there on the cross and by His resurrection will keep us from the evil one. But I wonder if you believe this. Because sometimes it's hard to believe. I read a story in Christianity Today this week, a story written by a pastor. The title is Blindsided by God. And it's a very honest and vulnerable testimony of this pastor who left, he was a medical doctor, who left his medical practice to plant a church in the worst part of Washington, D.C., And he brings his little children and his wife, and they move into a crummy apartment in Washington, D.C., but they love the Lord, and they're going to live for the Lord there. And in the third month while they're there, they have experienced their car being broken into a couple of times. Their house, their apartment was robbed several times. The church plant is not going very well. There's not that many people really interested in coming to his church. And he comes home from work one day, and his wife says, Peter, it's cancer. And the doctors tell me it's the worst kind of breast cancer that's already in my lymph nodes. And he says, I never expected our lives to be perfect But this was too much to bear. I felt betrayed by God because He had broken His promises. 
He writes, all this might seem strange for a pastor to say. After all, Jesus obeyed his Father's will, and Jesus suffered, and I knew that, and the disciples follow after their master, and they were persecuted and suffered as well. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal you're going through, Peter writes. And as a pastor, he said, I understood and taught these very truths. But despite all my good theology and good intentions, here I was, struck by a deep sense of God's betrayal. You know what he says? This is really humbling. Listen, see if you can hear your own voice ever here. I realized then that I didn't really believe what I thought I believed, what I said I believed. My conscious theology had been overridden by a subconscious theology. And here it comes. Brace yourself. My subconscious theology was the gospel of health and wealth. The idea that following God ensures blessing in this life. And he says, had anyone accused me of subscribing to such ideas, I would have denied it vehemently. Oh, no, not me. I don't believe in the health and wealth TV preacher gospel. I'm living in, incarnationally in the poorest section of Washington, D.C. I know what it is to be poor. I don't believe that, but he did. At some subtle level, he had a spirit of entitlement before God that says, if you're good, you deserve a life without pain. And he says, my parents taught me that because my parents were good Americans. They were immigrants, and they taught that if you have success, you won't suffer like we suffered. And he said, I watched the movies, and the good guy always gets the girl in the end. And the bad guy always gets his just desserts. And I never realized how deeply... I subscribed to these eyes until these ideas until Carol's diagnosis of cancer. And maybe you've come to the place in your life where you can relate to this. I think we all do at one time or another. But you know, it's not the end of Peter's story. And I actually put it in your bulletin. Don't look at it now. You get to take it home and read it later. Don't look at it now. But he quotes from Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. And he says, Do not fear, saith the Lord, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And he says, this passage contains a promise, but not the one we expect. It's not a promise that we will never suffer. In fact, the passage implies that we will pass through the waters, rivers, and fire. Jesus said, the last verse before his prayer in John 17, in the world you will have tribulation. You know, his church folded. But his wife lived. 
Interestingly enough, he says that the, that the day of her mastectomy, the doctors revealed to them that she was pregnant. They postponed it. Everybody's saying, you know, terminate the pregnancy, terminate the pregnancy. They said, oh, no, no, thank you. And she took the chemotherapy, and all those poisons swirled in her body, and the child was born healthy. And he says, did you know that recently medical science has shown that a woman has a better chance of surviving breast cancer when she's pregnant? And he said, somehow, that little boy was medicine for his mother. He said, I asked for a healthy church. God just gave me salvation. In fact, he says, God never answered a single one of my prayers the way I asked him to do it. Wow, is he vulnerable? Is he honest or what? But he says, and this is the end of it, it was as if I asked him for a rhinestone and he gave me a precious diamond. And only a fool laments the absence of the rhinestone when a diamond lives in his hand. My friends, you are carried through tribulation because Jesus went through the ultimate tribulation for you. We are told in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yes, Judas left. Judas lifted up his heel against him. Wicked and lawless men came and crucified Jesus Christ. But this according to the, the foreknowledge of God, the definite plan of God, and what happens? Did his body see decay? You know, you, if, if, read Acts chapter 2. Did Jesus' body decay in the tomb? King David's did decay in the tomb, but God kept Jesus. And he did not see decay, and death could not hold him. And God, it says, raised him up, verse 24, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so Jesus prays. Keep them from the evil one. And so it is done. Jesus Christ has crushed the serpent's head. Jesus teaches us in Luke 12 that there's this Strong man who has a house full of possessions. Who's that? That's the devil. And someone comes and robs his house. Jesus says, I'm a robber. He comes and he robs the strong man's house. David Pallison puts it like this. The house is the earth and the strong man is the devil. And the Messiah comes and binds the strong man and plunders his possessions. And what are his possessions? It's you. Who are the persons of interest? You are the person of interest that the Messiah has come after. And he has plundered the strong man and has taken them to himself. He robbed Satan. Keep them from the evil one. 
My friends, are you God's child? You know, I asked you at the beginning, as we talked about the TV show, Person of Interest, wouldn't it be nice if it was true? It is true. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. Let's pray together, shall we? Our fathers, there are some here going through deep waters and fiery trials. Or they have family members in deep waters or fiery trials or friends. Lord Jesus, would you be unto us, God our Father, would you be unto us, Holy Spirit, be unto us our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our shield, our stronghold. Your name is a high tower. We rush to it, and we are safe. We pray for anyone here today who has been in rebellion, who's been running away from you. And we pray for them. Oh, Lord, do your keeping ministry in them. Surprise them with your shepherding care. Draw them back to yourself. I believe you're doing that, Lord, in someone's life right now, here, today. You are just loving on them, reminding them that you will not let them go, for you are their Savior. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, you are with me to the end. Amen. Stand together and sing.